So I want to talk about John the Baptist. We talked about his calling last week. It was a supernatural calling, of course, God speaking to uh, Zechariah and, and uh, of course, uh, his wife Elizabeth, who was barren, and Zechariah, they were old in years, and the angel appears to him in the temple and speaks to him that they're going to be give birth to the son, and uh, and so that happens, and it was a, a supernatural calling, a sovereign calling to somebody that God just chose and, and did this through, and he was called to be a Nazarite. He had that Nazarite vow, which is the highest level of vow you could take in the Old Testament, showing your devotion to God. And so John the Baptist could not uh, drink wine, cut his hair. He, had a, he was a Nazarite. And also, he was called to be a forerunner for Jesus Christ, to prepare the way of the Lord for the coming Messiah. And John the Baptist did that as well. Well, we want to talk a little bit about his preparation for ministry. In his early years, listen to this in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, and I think the ushers passed out the outline. Did they not? You all have the outline? All right. Luke chapter 1 verse 15 says, He will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He also will be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. Imagine that. Now, I have this in bold in my notes. This blows away my theology. Filled with the Spirit from the mother's womb. You know, children are born. They're, they're not filled with the spirit from the mother. They come out of the they come out of the mother's womb screaming and crying, strong-willed, demanding, selfish, and they need to be saved. And then they get filled with the spirit, filled with the spirit from the mother's womb or within the mother's womb. Amazing. Also, in Luke chapter one, verses thirty-nine to forty-one, it says this. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. So that baby was John the Baptist. She is about, if you read the story, she's a, uh, Elizabeth was about, was about six months pregnant at the time. The babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Right at that moment, which is kind of interesting. Sometimes I wonder if John the Baptist was filled with the spirit when he leaped in the womb of Elizabeth and she also was filled with the spirit. It doesn't say that he was. We're not sure exactly when at the moment of conception, sometime during the process. But before she gave birth to John the Baptist, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, came out, saved if you don't mind me putting it that way. Amazing, isn't it? John the Baptist was called to be a forerunner to announce or to herald the coming Messiah. And when this happened in Luke chapter 1, when he leaped in her womb, he literally was announcing that Mary had the Savior in her womb. So John was used by God before he was born to announce the Messiah. Isn't that incredible? Right then, that baby leaped, and uh, they talk about that. As soon as I heard your voice, the babe leaped within, and uh, that was like a sign that Mary indeed was carrying the, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And I've mentioned this before. The very first person to recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord was an unborn child in the womb. 
Now, that doesn't prove the sanctity of life. It's just not an embryo or fetal tissue, right? It's a, it's a baby filled with the Spirit, with the purpose of God, somehow spiritually alert enough to herald the coming Messiah. That shows to me that life is sacred from the moment of conception. Amen to that? You agree with that, Gary? All right. Gary agrees with that. Now, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, this is his early years, all right? He grew physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, just like he should. Luke 1, 80. So the child grew, this time about John the Baptist, became strong in spirit. So I like that. He was filled with the spirit, but became strong in spirit. Filled with the Spirit, became strong in the Spirit. That's, that talks about spiritual growth and development, right? I, I was saved, and two days later I was filled with the Spirit. But I need to become strong in the Spirit. And he was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So the child grew, became strong in Spirit. So there he is, he's growing up, right? Physically, emotionally, mentally relationally, intellectually, spiritually. He's just growing like he should. And uh, that's what we want as parents with our children, right? When I sent my children off to, to school, I, I looked at three areas. Off to college, I looked at three areas. Oh, God, I just want to see them excel in these three areas. I wanted them to do well academically, intellectually. I wanted them to get good grades, you know, at the level that they're capable of, uh, get good grades, A's, B's, whatever the class, you know, I just want them to try hard and get good grades. I want them, I didn't want them to flunk out of school. I want them to excel academically. I wanted them to uh, excel as it were relationally. I wanted them to make friends. They would make friends, not to sit in their dorm room, not to be all lonely, not be able to not interact with others, but socially or relationally to excel. And then the third area was spiritually. I wanted them to really respond to God. And part of that was to go to a local church when they were in school and to serve in that local church in some type of ministry. And so I'd keep a keen eye on Hannah. And then she, you know, she was four years ahead of Luke. And then Luke, when, and, and the, to God's glory and also to credit them to respond to the Lord, they excelled academically, relationally, and spiritually. And man, that will make you well-rounded well-rounded. That's what I looked, like, looked at for, for my kids when they went off to college. And if I knew if they were doing those three areas, that they were responding to God. Because God cares about those areas, right? He does. He cares about those areas. And uh, I got that out of the life of Jesus in his early years, because the Bible talks very similar about Jesus Christ in his early years, like it does John the Baptist. It says there that he grew, became strong in spirit, And I like this, was in the desert. What's he doing there? Being prepared. That's what he's doing there. He's being prepared. That's what I want to talk about. John the Baptist had to be prepared. Till the day of his manifestation. The day of his manifestation. Now look at this. John waited until the Lord said, now is the time. He was in the desert till that day of his manifestation. Until the Lord said, now. Or till the Lord said, it's time. Or till the Lord said, you're ready. John the Baptist didn't rush it, nor did he delay it. He was right on time. And we need to be like that as well. 
So God used the desert, the wilderness, to train and equip and prepare John the Baptist for this great ministry. Now, the desert area was probably down by the Dead Sea, probably in that particular area, they say. Some say that he belonged to the sect of the Essenes, which was a a group of people that lived in communes down in the desert, and they were separate, but the Bible doesn't say that. They really don't know if that's the case. But we do know that he spent time in the desert till the day, and he was approximately 30 years of age when he came onto the scene. So he was in the desert for years, preparing for this ministry. Just like Moses, how many years did Moses spend in the desert? 40. David spent time in the desert. Saul was chasing him. He went off into the desert area, age 20 to about age 30, 9, 10 years, in the desert, in the wilderness. Also, the Apostle Paul, he got saved, and then persecution was arising against him. He went off into the desert, the scripture says, for approximately two to three years. Jesus even spent time in the desert, 40 days, 40 days. He spent time in the desert. So God uses the desert. We see that in the scriptures, different people. The Hebrew word for desert comes from a verb that means to speak. To speak. God speaks to us in our barren, lonely, and difficult times. God uses the desert to mold our character, right? To shape us, to mold our character. Why does God care about character? Listen to this. Because ministry flows from the inside out. From the inside out. Bad character will mar your message, destroy your integrity, and ruin your testimony. So God is taking time with John the Baptist because he's key. He's a key figure. He was supposed to make the way straight, as it were. To remove obstacles so the people could receive Christ. And the obstacle, obviously, was not physical obstacles. It was obstacles in their heart. He had a message of repentance, that they were to turn to God. He had a baptism, the baptism of repentance. Then he was baptizing people, and they they were supposed to turn from their sins and look for the Messiah. And so that's what John the Baptist was doing. But God wanted to make sure that his character matched the calling. Because if your character doesn't match the calling, the ministry gets polluted. It tells us this in Proverbs 25. A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. A murky spring and a polluted well. So if your character is bad and you're speaking for the Lord or attempting to minister for God, but your character is bad, the Bible says you're like murky or polluted. What comes out of you is not pure. It's not the unadulterated word of God. It's not a proper representation of Christ. It gets all defiled, you see. The Bible says it's not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now, if 
if a city has broken down walls, then what happens? The enemy comes in. They're defenseless. The enemy comes in and takes them captive. And so that's why it's so important to have right character. To have control over your own spirit. Because if you don't, it gives access to the enemy to come in and simply to destroy your life and to ruin your testimony and to mar the message and to shipwreck you. The Apostle Paul put it this way in the book of Corinthians. He says, I bring my body into subjection. I discipline my body, he says. Lest when I preach to others, I myself might be a castaway. So he understood the importance of self-discipline. There's no discipleship without discipline, the discipline of the spirit. He knew the importance of self-discipline, that if he just gave into his flesh and his wicked desires, his ministry would be shipwrecked. God would have to set him off to the side, right? And so here we have God preparing John the Baptist in the desert. Two men side by side show the importance of preparation. One was King Saul that God chose, and the other was King David who succeeded him. Samuel anointed both. Samuel anointed Saul. This was God's choice. He was tall and handsome. Bible says he was little in his own eyes at the start. But there was no preparation that we know of. Samuel shows up. He anoints him. The Spirit of God comes upon him. He prophesies. Is Saul one of the prophets? God changes his heart. Next thing you know, he's king. He's leading. But he soon falters. He falters because he's lifted up with pride. Because he loves the praises of people. Because he can't make a stand and do what's right. And so he, he gets removed by God. God says, I'm taking the kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to somebody better than you. The better than you talks about better in character. We all have the same soul worth before God. It wasn't talking about David has more soul worth. doesn't mean better in that way, but better in character. I'm going to choose a man after my own heart. The word after means like one that reflects my heart. He has my heart in him. And God chose David. So David was how old when he was anointed by Samuel? 17 years old. And so he's just this young shepherd boy. He's not ready to be king. He wasn't king over all the tribes until he was 37. So for 20 years, God prepared this man. And then he took to the throne at age 37. He spent time in the wilderness, in the desert. He spent time in in great adversity, learning to wait on God, to control himself, to discipline himself, to come under the dealings of the Holy Spirit. And David had a much greater or successful rule and reign as a king than Saul ever did, in part because David was prepared well and responded to that preparation. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, all right? Why does God care about your character? Because ministry flows from the inside out, and your ministry is sustained by your character. Proverbs 18, verse 16 says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. So a man's gift, now that could be talking about a financial gift, but also could be talking possibly about maybe spiritual gifts or the talents 
making room for you and bringing you, uh, giving you opportunities before great men. I mean, that happens, right? You know, think about our, our president, whichever president it might be, and you're on an athletic team. Let's say you're an NBA, you're, you're a Detroit Piston. They have 12 members on their team, and they win the NBA championship. It's going to happen this year. Mark it down. Thus saith, no, I don't want to say that. Never mind. Anyway, let's say they win the NBA championship. You know what? Their talent is going to bring them before great men. They will, next thing you know, they'll be invited to the White House and stand before the president, right? Because of the talent. Talent. People care about talent. Do you agree with this statement that the more talent you have, the more people will overlook character flaws? Absolutely. God doesn't. Because God looks at the heart. He gifts us with talents, right? Obviously, they come from him. I, I, I remember living, uh, listening to Rush Limbaugh when he first came on the scene. I think it was 1987. I was driving down M59, heading towards White Lake. And I turned on WXYZ, I think it was the radio station, 1270 on the radio dial. And here's this guy, Rush Limbaugh. And he makes a statement, with talent on loan from God. Well, people thought he was being proud. Talent from God? What a, but he would explain, no, that's a statement of humility. No matter what you think about Rush Limbaugh, right? And I want to get into that. But with talent, really, if you have talents and gifts, they came from God. And to acknowledge that is more humble than think they originate from your own self. All right? So he would say that. Anyway, we're talking about gifts. Listen to what it says in... Uh, well, I've already read Proverbs 18, verse 16, right? Yep. So, talent will open doors for you, but character is what keeps you over the long haul. Saul was tall. He was the tallest man. Absalom was the handsomest man. Samson was the strongest man. Solomon was the wisest man. Yet they all lacked character They all fell short of their life and ministry potential. Every man or woman must be prepared in their own personal desert. It is the place where self-will, self-promotion, and self-sufficiency are broken. Do you like that statement? Every man or woman must be prepared in their own personal desert. You might be, well, I don't have a pulpit ministry. Well, you have a ministry if you're a husband, or a mother, or maybe a servant of church, you have a ministry. God cares about all of our characters, does he not? And don't we have a ministry to the unsaved, a ministry of reconciliation? Absolutely. So this is for all of us. Every man or woman must be prepared in their own personal desert. In other words, there'll be times of challenge, difficulty, obscurity, and solitude. Where God is at work in you. It is a place where self-will, I want my own way, is broken. It is a place where self-promotion, it's all about me, that's broken. And it's a place where self-sufficiency, I can handle it, is broken. We all need our will to be broken We all need the idea of our self-promotion, our pride, and self-sufficiency. That's also pride. That needs to be broken. 
Always remember this. God will heal a broken heart, but he wants your will to remain broken. When I say broken, surrendered. Surrendered. We live broken before God. That's the idea, right? Kind of like Jacob who walked with a limp. The idea that God smote his, his hip and knocked it out of joint, so it's like broken there. And so he's walking with a limp, always reminding himself, I can't fight God anymore. I got to surrender to God. I got to submit to God. That's how we're supposed to walk. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you. So that's the desert, the wilderness. John the Baptist was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. To humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God uses, all throughout the scriptures, these deserts or wilderness experiences to break us, to mold us, to shape us. So this is what I have. How did God develop John's character in the wilderness or in the desert? I have five statements here, then we're going to go through these. God uses obscurity to teach you humility. God uses time to teach you patience. God uses solitude to teach you to hear his voice. God uses discomfort to teach you tenacity. And God uses diet to teach you spiritual health. Remember his diet? He had the Nazarite vow and they ate locusts and honey. He had a certain diet, certain diet to keep him spiritually healthy. You ever hear the statement, you are what you eat? Well, that's true physically, right, to some degree. I had a quarter pounder with cheese today. It was horrible, horrible. So I'm halfway through, which if you know me, I always finish what a hamburger. I'm halfway through it. I discard it. I give it, I said, that's horrible. My wife says, she's eating a Big Mac. And I said, try that. It tastes awful. So she takes a bite and she says, oh, that is awful. That is awful. You are what you, I'm not sure what was in that quarter pounder with cheese. I haven't had a quarter pounder with cheese since the last time I ran a marathon. I would always get a quarter pounder with cheese after I run my marathon as a treat. All right, we did it. So I haven't had one since the last time I ran a marathon. It's been that long, and I thought, all right, I'm coming back from Chicago. Let's stop at McDonald's. We'll get a breakfast. Only they stopped serving breakfast, so we had to order a hamburger. So I get a quarter pounder of cheese. I'm, I'm ready to just bless me. <laughs> just bless me. Do I eat fast food? No. no, I don't eat fast food. I don't eat fast food. On the way down, we stopped at Taco Bell. I had two tacos. That's unusual, isn't it? Well, on the way back, we stopped at McDonald's. Quarter pounder with cheese. I love quarter. It tasted horrible. What did they do? It was rancid. It's rancid. I'm a, I feel a, little, feel a little sick right now. <laughs> you are what you eat. You can't be healthy having a quarter pounder with cheese three meals a day for the rest of your life. Can you? You are what you eat. Well, that's true spiritually as well. So let's take a look at this first one. God uses obscurity to teach you humility. 
So desert is a very lonely place. Nobody knows you. Nobody recognizes you. Nobody platforms you. In our culture, building your platform is huge. Huge. Build your Twitter platform, your Facebook platform, build your uh, whatever, your platform. Make sure you have the followers and the likes. And uh, it's, it's in the worldly culture. It's also in the spiritual culture. Ministers really do care about the followers, the platform they had. John was shaped in secret and then revealed in public. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. Obscurity. Learning to be a nobody. Submitting to that process. You don't have to be on stage. You can be hidden. Nobody has to be applauding you. Or even recognizing you. It's in those years and during that season of life or during that time... That God does a deep work. He works in humility in you. That will stay in you, perhaps when you are platformed. There you go. Obscurity to teach you humility. This is talked about in Isaiah 49. Now, this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. But it could be for any of us. Listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. Now listen to this. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. Not pulled out of the quiver, but in the quiver. It's a dark place. He said to me, you are my servant Israel. And you will bring me glory. So that's a messianic prophecy there. But it can relate to how God deals with us as well. Hidden in a quiver. Jesus was just that. We, I mean, you know, like the boyhood years of Jesus. Do we know anything about that other than when he was 12 years old in the temple? How about Jesus as a teenager? Jesus and his dating life. Jesus' first date. Do we know Jesus at home, Jesus helping his father? We don't know anything about that. It's all hidden until the time came. The fullness of time came, and all of a sudden, he shows up to be baptized by John. And so he begins his public ministry. Right then and there. Age 30. So for 30 years, hidden in the father's hands as an arrow in a quiver, obscure Jesus I'm sure as a son of God the word made flesh dwelling among us could have done all kinds of miracles have public ministry way before the timing of the Lord but he waited so God uses obscurity to teach you humility the second one is God uses time to teach you patience time so John the Baptist was in the desert until the time came And that was about age 30. I don't know how long he, let's say age 20 to age 30, he's in the desert. 10 years. Moses was 40 years. God uses time. Time. Do you believe that God makes every child of God to wait on him? 
<laughs> Absolutely. He makes you wait on him. Now, sometimes maybe you can pray and get a real quick answer. A lot of times with new Christians that happens. They're just so joyful and brand new and they cry out like a little baby does. And the mom is right there with the bottle or whatever. And uh, the little baby Christian cries out and the father's just right there. God, our father's right there and answers quickly. But given time, they're going to have to learn to wait. My soul is even as a weaned child, the psalmist says. That means if I'm a weaned child, that means I'm off my schedule I now have to be on my parents' schedule. I'm weaned. It's not feeding on demand, right? Feeding on demand. When you're weaned, you no longer feed on demand. I want, I want, I want. You know, so God makes every one of us learn to wait on him. Waiting on God. Have you ever had to wait on God? Yes. We all have to wait on God, don't we? Waiting on God for a promise. Waiting on God for an answer. Waiting on God to show up and provide. Waiting on God for the spouse. Waiting on God for a word from the Lord, for direction. Waiting on God to show himself and his plan and purpose for your life. Whatever the situation, chances are you have waited on God for something and you are right now waiting on God for something. It's the way God works. They that wait on the Lord shall Renew their strength. And so if you're waiting on God with faith, that's patience. Patience is waiting on God with faith. That's the patience that God's working in you. I can wait on God. I wonder why he likes us to wait on him so much, to look to him. But it's, it's a quality. Patience is a quality that God just loves God uses crockpots, not, not microwaves, to develop us. Crockpots, the taking of time to cook us, to get us just the right flavor, making us tasty. He wants us to be that savor of life, properly developed. Well... We need humility, we need patience, and God uses what I call the desert, right? The desert to do this. Number three, God uses solitude to teach us to hear his voice. Solitude. The demands of people, the busyness of work, the noise of culture, all drown out the voice of God. Why? Because God many times speaks in a whisper. That still small voice. When there's a lot of noise, it's hard to hear the whisper. You need to quiet yourself. A desert is a place of solitude. It's a place of solitude. Not much happening out there. It's barren. It's hot. It's challenging. And you're just learning to hear the voice of God. Boy, is that a lifetime process. To learn to hear the voice of God. Have you ever thought you heard the voice of God and missed it? That ever happened to you? Yes. I thought for sure the Lord spoke that. And then, you know, you reflect back and 
you know, maybe you're listening to your desires or you misread a, a sign. I, I knew a minister, uh, and he was given this wonderful opportunity to, to go to Saudi Arabia and uh, a place where they have the oil fields and everything. Uh, well, Saudi Arabia invites people from all over the world to live on these uh, enclosed, secure compounds. And in the compound, there's everything they need. They, they have a bowling alley and a golf course and, and shopping. And, uh, and it's all secure, heavily guarded. And thousands upon thousands of people live within these compounds in Saudi Arabia working uh, uh, like the oil fields there. Well, this man had an opportunity to pastor a church on one of these compounds. They would pay him a great salary. The congregation was about 250 people. It was multi-ethnic congregation because people from all over the world were coming in. It was English-speaking. Everything was provided for, a car, a house, a great salary, Everything was paid for. It was secure and safe. And uh, the opportunity came up, up to me. And uh, the guy said, would you know of anybody? And I said, I do. I, I know this great guy. It was Mark Roser. Mark Roser, great guy. And I know that he was really keen on getting back to the mission field. He had left Zimbabwe. And, uh, and so I brought the idea before him. And boy, he just keyed right in on it. That just would be awesome. This would be great. And the more he learned about it, the more he wanted it. And man, he just was going after it. He's in prayer, praying about it. Just praying, 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 trying to discern the will of God. And he says he was praying in his car. He's on a trip. And uh, a lot of traffic lights were on this road. And he's in the midst of praying about it. And every traffic light was green. And he thought for sure green means go. God is saying Go. God is in this. I'm to go. I'm to go. Well, they turned them down because they had an age limit. They didn't want anybody over the age. I think it was 55. You age out. And he was like 56, 57 at the time. And so he didn't get it, and he was crushed. But I still remember saying, you know, I really thought with all those green traffic lights, and I was praying about it, the green means go. God wants me to go. I really thought like this was God speaking to me. And he was a mature minister, but he missed it. He missed it. And you can miss it all along the way, you know, and uh, God used other means to shut the door. Obviously, it wasn't God's will. Shut the door on that. And, uh, but anyway, the voice of God, the voice of God, speaking to you from Scripture, the voice of God, speaking to your spirit, the voice of God in a dream, the voice of God coming through counselors, the voice of God as impressions and burdens or a feeling or a sense, the voice of God coming through a prophecy or a word of knowledge. Sometimes a person given that prophecy can miss it. But you can latch a hold of this. So God speaks. It's like a, a cell phone commercial. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? You're trying to, like, go north on Hickory Ridge Road and try to have a conversation on the cell phone. The cell phone reception is horrible. Anybody ever try to do that? North, it's just terrible. Are you there? Are you there? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And, uh, like, tuning our spirit to his spirit. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Trying to discern what would the Lord say to me about this? 
Well, God uses the desert place to quiet your heart so that you might learn to hear his voice. Now, Jesus does say this, my sheep hear my voice. So that always comforts me. And what I need to make sure is, Lord, above anything else, I want your will over my will. Don't let my desires cloud out your voice And so, Lord, please speak to me in a way where I can truly discern your will in this. Because I have missed it through the years as well. And when I want something too bad or whatever. So God uses solitude. How about this? Number four, God uses discomfort to teach you tenacity. Discomfort to teach you tenacity. Or perseverance. Or endurance. Tenacity, perseverance, endurance, to not give up, to see it through, to keep your commitment, to finish well. God uses discomfort to teach you tenacity. Now, the adversity principle is you grow stronger in tough times. Isn't that the truth? You grow stronger in tough times, not in blessed times, but in tough times. Storms strengthen us. Desert experiences are hard and challenging. But if you can walk with God during a desert season, a barren season, a challenging season, a tribulation season, if you can keep walking with God through those seasons, it toughens you up. Not in a bad sense, a fleshy sense, but in a spiritual sense. You get some attitude tenacity. You know, quitters never win. We're not like those that quit. I think of John Mark on the first missionary journey. He went with Paul and Barnabas. God says, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work I've called them to. Okay. And hey, John Mark, you want to come? You know, God didn't call John Mark to go. Maybe he was too young, wasn't quite ready. He goes and he makes it halfway through and quits the trip. Quits the trip. He had to relearn. And he did, praise the Lord. He relearned. He became useful in the ministry. And uh, you see him at the end of his life. He's doing well. But he gave up. He quit. Adversity. Adversity, sticking it out. That's important, isn't it? You got to be able to stick it out. When we sent our kids off to college, I wanted them to finish with their degree and not quit school because you don't learn anything in quitting. You learn it in finishing, finishing the class, finishing that commitment. Finishing your ministry, staying together, staying married, working it out, having an attitude tenacity. Oh, we need that, don't we? So God uses discomfort. The Bible says that Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus had some determination to him, some tenacity. This is talking about when he was in Galilee in his last few weeks of his life on earth, and he's heading to Jerusalem, and he knows that when he gets there, he's going to 
be crucified. And the Bible says on that long journey from northern Israel down to Jerusalem, southern Israel, from Galilee on down to Judea, the Bible said he set his face like a flint. I mean, he's determined. He's going to the cross. He's going to Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, the night in which he was betrayed, he has Passover. And then he, Passover's over, so he gets up out of that room and takes him to the Mount of Olives where he goes to pray. And on that journey from the upper room to that place on the Mount of Olives where they found him, Gethsemane, that area, he knew that Judas would come and that would be the beginning of it, right? And he made that walk with those disciples. And he bows down and he prays and he surrendered to the will of God. Not my will, but yours be done. If possible, take this cup from him, but not my will. And so we see this tenacity in Jesus, this perseverance, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. When he's on that cross, he's on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So that's six hours he's on the cross. The Bible says he could have called a legion of angels to come rescue him. He's, he has quite the tenacity. From 9 to 12, the sun is out. But from 12 to 3, darkness covers the land. The idea there is separated from the Father. He knew from 9 to 12, and all the pain he was, it's only going to get worse. He's not given up. Who for the joy set before You know what the joy set before him was? That was our salvation. Bringing many sons into glory. He endured. I mean, that's some determination, isn't it? That's why we worship and love our Savior, right? Because he endured. And God wants us to develop that grit, that determination, that tenacity, that perseverance. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not faint. Faint. What is it if you're... If your strength, how's it go? If you faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is small. Is that the proverb? Oh, Lord, I don't want to have to faint. And then God uses a diet to teach you spiritual health. And, of course, we talked about this. You know, God, God sets before us a five-course meal. If you ever want to have a great five-course meal, go down to Lely's. And they get their five-course meal. It's just wonderful. But the Lord sets before us a five-course meal. The water of the Spirit, the milk of the Word, honey, because His Word is like honey, bread sent down from heaven, and He has meat that He sets before us, right? Strong meat. That's a five-course meal. Water, milk, honey, bread, meat. You are what you eat. God uses his word and his spirit to bring spiritual health. Most likely, your desert is not a geographical location. You may be suffering through a spiritual, emotional, or relational desert. God wants to use your desert to help you discover yourself and his resources. That's a quote from Chuck Swindoll. 
God wants to use your desert to help you discover yourself and his resources. So when it says discover yourself, man, I I found out that I am just awesome. Well, I don't think that is the self-discovery spiritually that Chuck Swindoll was talking about. I think uh, when you're in a desert and it's very challenging and God is breaking you of self-will, self-promotion, right? And uh, uh, that type of thing. I think the self-discovery is, man, who am I? Who is sufficient of these things? Lord, I can't do this. I need you. Help, Lord. Strengthen me, Lord. Right? The self-discovery is, you're not sufficient, but he is. He is. That's the discovery. The world has self-discovery all different. The world has you discover how wonderful and wonderfully gifted you are. And God has you discover how wonderful he is. It's totally different. As Christians, we need to have that biblical mindset, right? What is your response to the desert? I don't need it. Well, Jesus spent time in the desert, so we all need it. I'm tired of it. Moses spent 40 years in the desert, then an additional 40 years with the children of Israel. 80 years in the desert. So don't grow weary. (laughs) How about this response to the desert? I accept it. Turn your situation over to God and trust God in the process. What lessons have you learned about yourself in the desert? I've learned a lot of lessons about myself in the desert. That's for sure. I've learned that I can fight God, resist God, try to take matters in my own hand and play God, try to solve things on my own. I've learned that I'm not as yielded and surrendered as I thought I was because when things are going well, man, you're just... Oh, Lord, I just surrendered to this good will of yours. But, uh, you know, it gets a little challenging, and all of a sudden, you, you're not as surrendered as you think you are. So I've learned a lot of things about myself in the desert. What lessons have you learned about God in the desert? He's good. He's beyond past finding out. He's powerful. He's in control. His will is what he's after, not mine. I've learned a lot about God. How about you? Just bow your heads in the presence of the Lord. What lessons have you learned about yourself in times of difficulty? What have you learned about yourself in times of difficulty? With your heads bowed, you know what else I've learned about myself? I really am saved. I've learned that. God is in my life. I really do have his Holy Spirit. He really has changed me. I do believe God. Thank God for that, right? My assurance of my salvation has actually grown in times of adversity. And what lessons have you learned about God in the desert? What is God... What what has God done? How has he shown himself to you 
in times of challenge or loneliness or obscurity? What have you learned about God? Lord, we love you tonight, and we're so thankful for how you prepare us, mold us, and shape us. Lord, you never give up on us. He that has begun a good work in us will perform it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that. Bless, the, bless all the people here tonight, Lord, as they're learning and growing about these things. Bless them, Lord. Help them in their desert to wait on God in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Hope this was a blessing for you tonight.